If you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I want to say good morning to everyone. <clears throat> Glad to see your smiling faces. It's always good to see a, a smiling face, isn't it? As I've been praying this week about what to preach on and what direction to go, the Lord seemed to make it very clear that uh, we need to look at a couple. Uh, there are so many. There are so many. But we're just going to look at two for the sake of time. <clears throat> two uh, foundational, and foundational, unshakable truths from God's Word. Just two this morning that are foundational and they're unshakable, but truths that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded about. And then we'll see if the Lord takes us to any more later on as we go along. But I do believe that in the way of application, and, and hopefully you'll be able to see it from where I'm coming from here, in verse 12 of chapter 2, the book of Philippians, Wherefore, my beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His uh, blessing and direction on this message. Father, we thank You for this time that we could be together. We thank You for the safety that You've given as we've all traveled. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what Mr. Fields read and how powerful just the reading of God's Word. It just it, There's something about just reading this book out loud. And so we're grateful for that, just the power in it. We're grateful for the good music, for the hymns, Reminding us of your goodness all the time, even when things are going rough for us. But you're always working on our behalf, working things out together for our good. And so, Father, we ask you today as we look into these two foundational, unshakable truths that you would help us to see to see from your perspective, your word, and what you're trying to get across to us here today. Pray that if anyone is lost, they've never received Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would know Jesus in a personal way, that they'd believe on him and his finished work on Calvary, that he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. So we trust you now to speak through your word. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to be the teacher. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think very simply, the moment conversion takes place, the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the minute you, the, the, the second you believe on Him, you are fully saved. Now, I don't know, I just had this thought and it just rushed in my mind, it just did again. I don't, 
I don't think it's like being fully vaccinated. I don't know how the analogy could go there, but <laughs> thank you, Bill. Um, but you are fully saved, completely saved. You're secure the moment, the moment you're secure in Christ forever. And you're guaranteed. <laughs> There's so much. I mean, we couldn't cover it all. You're guaranteed your inheritance that, that is because of Christ, because of what He's done. It's all ours the moment we believe. We're headed for heaven that moment forever. We're complete in Him. We're seated in, uh, at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. The work... For salvation is done. Our sin debt is paid forever. We can't do anything to earn it. And we sure can't do anything to lose it. And that's a foundational truth there. You have to believe that. Well, you need to believe that. We have direct access to the Father. Immediately, you can go to the Father and call upon Him, Abba, Father. We have Christ praying for us because we really don't even know how to pray. Why don't you look Romans 8, 34 real quickly. Just look up a couple of these that are familiar to you. But... Um, Romans 8, 34. I think it's good to turn in your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, John, you commented on that. It's good to hear those pages turning. But, but 34, Romans 8. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, and look at this, who also maketh intercession for us. Who also maketh intercession for us. He's, he's interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So just to, just to make that point that at the moment of salvation, we have the Lord Jesus is interceding for us, and that ought to be a comfort to you, because we forget to pray sometimes, we don't know how to pray, and we feel inadequate in prayer, but you can count on this, He is interceding for us, even now, He's interceding right now as I proclaim the Word, He's interceding, it's, it's a powerful, powerful thought. Now, 
The Apostle Paul, and I'm not, this is not really a part, but it's just there. But now much more in my absence, you obey when I'm... Obey when I'm not there is what he's saying. You, you do well when I'm present, but when I'm not there, I want you to keep on obeying. You know, if you think about it, we need to work on that. As Christians, we need to work on that. Do you honestly, honestly think that everybody's the same at home in their living room with their Crocs on or their house shoes on or barefoot as you are sitting here in this pew today? I mean, are Do you really think so? So we ought to be aware of the presence of the Lord Jesus even when we are away from church members and church people and Christians. And I like, I don't know who I heard it first from, but the thought is, the real test of our character, the real test, young people, adults, all of us, the real test of our character is what we do when we're alone. And God's people said? The real test of a person's character is what you do when you're by yourself and you don't think anybody's looking. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, Ephesians chapter 2. I, I'm, I'm not going to try to exegete this totally to the point that, you know, we could spend the whole time on that and miss the two points that I'm trying to get to. But we need to understand that we're not working for our salvation. That work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, the work is already done. It's already finished. It is complete. Verse 8 of chapter 2, the book of Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. I've had conversations with individuals that believe in work salvation. I do not know how they get around these verses. In fact, we had a family many, many years ago before this building, we were in another building, and their whole family came from a background of work salvation. So we had them over to the house. We lived over here uh, next, next door here, really, for, what, 19 years, I think? And uh, so they came over, and we had a little meal together. And I just asked them, I said, look, tell me, how do y'all explain this one? I mean, you believe in work salvation, you believe in baptismal regeneration. How do you explain it? And he told me later that as the Lord used that, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That was the beginning of his change and his declaration to renounce work salvation, which he did from the baptistry. He said that those verses, he couldn't answer it. He couldn't answer it that day and he couldn't answer it later. So the whole family, one by one, I baptized him. He turned around and baptized his family. In believer's baptism, not works. And so... 
The Bible is very clear. Eternal life is a gift of God. It's not of works. It's not of ourselves. So as a born-again child of God, we've got a responsibility. We're not working for salvation. We're working because of our salvation. In fact, somebody said it like this, and I, I really hadn't really just thought about it that much, but it was a statement they made, work like you were working or live like you were working for your salvation. You know you're not, but your life ought to look like you're living that kind of life. You're just living such a, such a life, such a Christian life. But you know, you know you can't do anything to gain salvation. It's already done. It's already paid for. But we have a responsibility as Christians to live out the Christian life, not because, not for salvation, but because of salvation. And even if we fail, and we all do, by the way, you can't lose it because we're secure in Christ. It's permanent. It's done. It's complete. So with the fear and trembling, though, this is the first nugget for today, the first truth, the first foundational truth that I want to think about. I want to think about fearing God. Fearing God. And there's a lot, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to that. I just looked up one just a moment ago. Uh, Psalm 128, I think it was. I was looking at it. Just kind of browsing through. One twenty-eight. One. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. Verse 4. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. So, this foundational truth the first one to consider today is that believers need to fear the Lord. I believe, and I'm going to make some statements about some personal beliefs based on Scripture, based on experience, <clears throat> but I, I believe that the sin, so much of what we've seen in the ministry for all these years, so much of what we've seen of sin and failure in the Christian life, is a result of a lack of fear of God. People get caught up in things. People get moving in a direction, a sinful direction. And they have, if they're born again, they have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is wooing them, trying to draw them back, trying to get them to turn, trying to get them to repent. But it is a lack of fearing God that a person will bow their neck and continue onward down that sinful path. You just don't fear consequences. You don't fear what might happen. You don't fear the cost. A couple of thoughts here, just in a kind of like a pause. I believe America has lost her fear of God. If America feared God, 
abortion would not be running rampant. They would fear God. Abortion doctors would fear God, but there's no, that's, there's no fear of God. Didn't y'all love, I don't know how that happened, and I, I, wasn't that wonderful, the, the baby crying over the loudspeaker during the scripture reading? I, did y'all do that on purpose? I thought that was a real added little effect there that was special, having a baby cry. I don't know how you did it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you had one in the in the in the sound booth with you and you're holding the mic down there or whatever. <clears throat> but but America has lost her fear of God. Abortion doctors have no fear of God. I don't believe a lot of politicians really have a fear of God. And I can guarantee you this, Hollywood has no fear of God. Now, on the palatable side of fearing God, we all want to hear that fearing God for the Christian is reverential fear we should there should be this reverential respect for god and and that is that is you look it up that that's exactly true absolutely there should be an awesome respect for almighty god but i believe it goes beyond just that idea I personally believe that it means we need to fear God because if we continue on our sinful path with secret sins or whatever you're involved in or could be involved in, God may decide suddenly, and Scripture refers to suddenly, Proverbs 29.1, suddenly be destroyed after you harden your neck, Suddenly, and with that without remedy, I believe it's a principle. Now, if God, for some reason, says, okay, to a believer, enough, you're not going to be destroyed and go to hell, but you could surely be ushered into the presence of God, which that's not a bad thing, but your life can be terminated because God finally says, you know, I've wooed you, I've tried to work with you, I've, I've, the Holy Spirit is telling you to repent, to turn back, and you haven't, enough is enough. And suddenly, suddenly, I'm going to take you out. And I believe that. I I was led to preach this message today. I don't know why. But I believe that every time I've preached, and any time I've ever preached on things like this, I've had people come to me almost every time and say, I think the Lord was speaking directly to me about this. So it wouldn't surprise me if someone there, you're in your pew or listening, you're saying, you know, I... That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm moving in the wrong direction and I need to turn. It's suddenly, it comes suddenly. 
And God finally does, I believe, after a time. And, and you know, it's people, they, they tinker with things, they are tempted with things, and they, they go in the direction of sinful activities and thoughts and things. And nothing happens. And so you say, well, nothing happened last time, so I'll, go, I'll keep going that direction. But I'm telling you, every time you know that you're involved in something, and you know that you're committing sin before a holy God, and God has told you and spoken to you through His Word, through His Spirit, and He's spoken to you about it, and you know there can come a time where He says enough is enough. It's now finished. It's, come on. Not going to belabor the story, but it was a true story in one of our churches. A man was involved in immorality, and he tried to uh, do things with other people in the church. And people knew. People knew about. It. They knew. They. He was kind of a a pillar of the church. They liked him, but they just said, "Oh, it's just the way he is." Well, he was involved, in, and so when we confronted him, he with with deacons, he. He prayed. I told him, I said, you're going to have to start with prayer. He's on his knees in the office. He said, Lord, if I've done anything. And I just tapped him on the shoulder and stopped him right there in the middle of his prayer. I said, it's not if you've done anything. You have done something. So we offered him counseling through the Union Baptist Association in Houston. We offered him counsel. We tried to work with him. We were trying to protect him and not stand in the pulpit and name his name in the pulpit. We were trying really hard to work with the man, and he wouldn't. He just kept on stirring things up. And I ended up leaving the church, and he was trimming trees one day with a chainsaw up in a tree and, and fell dead suddenly with a heart attack, just fell out and took a nosedive out of the tree. And I'm telling you, I will go to my grave believing God said enough is enough. You've had every opportunity to turn back. Turn back to me. Come back to me. I'm, I'm loving you. I'm trying to love you. And he wouldn't. I've seen people in this church back in the past lose their families as they came against the church, divorce and losing their family, their wives. One wife called my wife up. She was just having a terrible time. She was afraid of her husband. In hiding. They were here. They were here. I mean, I can tell you two or three families that I know of, they lost their families. They were constantly stirring things up. Stirring things up. But you know what? I discovered a long time ago, this is not my church. This is God's church. It's not my church. This is God's church. And when we tamper with God's church, we're going to have to deal with God. But a lack of fear. A lack of fear. I've seen, I've seen uh, chastisement. I've experienced chastisement. I've experienced chastisement. I know what chastisement is. I know what the loving discipline of God, when God says, let's go to the woodshed. I've been there. I know. 
And I'm going to tell you what, you don't have to tell, have somebody come tell you about it. If you've been to the woodshed with God, you know that you've been to the woodshed with God. I didn't, I don't need somebody trying to be my Holy Spirit. So I've experienced it, but I've seen others experience it. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen sickness. I've seen their finances, finances crumble. I've seen them, I've watched them lose stuff, and I've watched them sadly to lose their families. A failure to repent, a failure to turn back. After a constant loving warning, after warning, after warning, God saying, come back to me, turn back to me, repent, come back. And there are consequences. God chases those whom he loves. You can count on it. Now, believer, there are a lot of things going on in this life and in this world today, but I'm going to tell you, I stand here as your pastor today to tell you, there is only one person we are to fear, and that we should fear God and Him alone. That's it. If you continue on in sin, I'm, I believe you don't have a fear of God. If you violate Scripture, I don't, knowingly, I don't believe you have a fear of God. I looked up in Proverbs again this while ago. Sowing seeds of discord. You're involved in that, spreading things about other believers and about the church. I'm telling you, I don't believe you have a fear of God. You don't fear any consequences. Attacking a brother, attacking God's church. Knowing what to do and not doing it, the Scripture is very clear. It's sin. So we need to fear God and fear God in a very powerful way. Let me, let me just read a few verses here. Um, Matthew 10, 28. I'm, I'm using the... the the back of the Thompson, so it's, it's under section 30, 34 if you'd like, but it's just for the sake of time, not having to turn all the different pages back and forth. But look at, listen, listen to this and look at this. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. First Peter 1.17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of person judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. First Peter 2.17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the King. Fear God. And honor the King. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. We're not to fear man. We're not to be afraid of man 
what man can do to me. We need to be fearing God. Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Psalm 3, 6, I will, oh, I love these. They're so many, they're so powerful. Psalm 3, 6, I will not be afraid of the 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Psalm 27, 3, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Psalm 91.5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day. And again, I just want to read it again. I, Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Proverbs 3.24, when thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. That was a verse we taught our children growing up. And even today, sometimes when I hear them pray, they talk about a sweet sleep. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4. Be careful. Don't be anxious about anything. And the peace of God will keep your hearts. It's so important to relate and understand what Scripture is trying to get across to us. That we're not to be anxious about anything. Being anxious is a sin. Worry is a sin. But if you want the peace of God, you're going to have to let... God, take care of that anxiety for you. Worry, being anxious, is a violation of Scripture. Being fearful of men, what a man can do, what men can do to me, that's a violation of Scripture. Please hear my heart. Please hear what I'm trying to say. We don't need to fear the government. We, we don't need to fear the government. There's so much talk. So much energy spent. And I always think about the lost that are listening in to believers, what they're talking about. How is it affecting them? When they see us constantly, I've seen people get so excited as they talk about the government takeover, they literally, their body just shakes. Bless your hearts. Bless your heart. That is such an all-consuming subject. It's, it's, it's worry, it's, it's fear. So what if all of your fears, all of your concerns, what if it does come about? What, what if it does come about? 
What if? Your views and your predictions are right. And there is a conspiracy. I, I just have to say to you, if it does, please agree with the scripture that God permitted it. God permitted it. God allowed it for our good. You just have to, you just have to resolve the fact all the anxiety, all the fretting, all the stuff is not going to change it if God says this is what America needs to get the church to the place the church needs to be. Now, I want to say, and I've got this in my notes, some pastoral loving advice. Pray. I preached on prayer last time I preached. Pray. Make phone calls to your representatives. Have meetings. All that. Get behind your candidate. Promote that person. And of course, vote. But finally, fear God. Finally, fear God, not man. Fearing God, if you're considering working out your salvation, this is our part. This is God's done the salvation part. God's done the finished work part. Our part is to live it out. And our part is to fear God and not fear man. This is where we get to live it out. So don't be anxious. Listen, life, trust me, life is too short to fret all this stuff. And I'm going to tell you what, and I, this is, again, a personal observation. This is my opinion. But I really think so much of the worry probably is weakening your immune system a lot. All this anxiety is maybe doing damage to your immune system. So enjoy the ride, as they say. Do what you can. Pray, vote, meet, make phone calls, do it all. But relax. Don't be so uptight. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. You'll look up one day. You'll look up one day and it's going to be like, boom, over. And I promise you, you mark this down when you get to heaven. God's going to say, you know, you spend a lot of energy on some things. There are souls dying all around you, dying and going to hell. And you're caught up in this. Foundational truths. The second one is <clears throat> to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's our part. He's done the work. Our part is to trust Him. Trusting God is showing our confidence. I looked it up in the W.E. Vine. It's confidence. It's showing I have confidence in God. He's the creator of everything, the moon, the stars, the universe. It's all, I mean, if we could just, I've heard some powerful sermons. I couldn't even try to repeat half the stuff I've heard on the universe and how everything works together. It's fascinating. And to think, he's our God, he's our Father. 
We can have confidence. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's perfect. He never makes any mistakes. And he's working in and through each one of us who know him as Lord and Savior. For our good. He's shaping. He's molding. He's conforming. Our job is to trust him completely. To have total confidence in him. Now, again, you've read these little pamphlets about the different rooms in the heart. And I just want to just say, if you think about the idea of, we say we trust Him, but are there any little areas that you're holding on to? I mean, I trust Him with this, but I'm really struggling with this. Some people might say, I trust Him with my future. I trust Him with my retirement. What's that? I trust Him, I trust him with my finances, but I just, I just haven't been able to trust him with my kids' future because America's turned. It's so bad. It's so different than the way it was. Are there little areas? You say you trust him, but are there some areas that you're holding on to that you're really not fully, completely trusting him? Little areas in your heart. Trust him with your whole heart, the scripture says. It'd be a good idea to give up your rights. Yield your rights to Him. And demonstrate to the younger Christians, this is how you face struggle. This is how you face trials. This is how you face adversity. Show them by the way you live. By the, the way you talk. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned in homes... Over the years, what, what is said in homes about issues? And, and my concern is that the little children, I've seen them, I've watched them. When mommy and daddy are speaking, a lot of times they're looking up, they're listening, they're watching, they're taking it all in. And one day, you're going to wonder why they had some of those thoughts that they grew up with. And it, and it is possible the reason they have those thoughts because you are talking about fearful things. You are talking about things that, that you should have been trusting God for. And, and they're going to grow up having fears. They're going to have to deal with that. One day as a believer, they're going to have to face it. One day they're going to have to deal with it. So think about the conversations you have in your home about other people and about, you know, life and what's going on and, and work hard not to create fears in your children. Because let me just tell you, some are resisting, fighting, so consumed but I have to ask you, do you anticipate possibly in your lifetime living out 2 Timothy 3.12? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I mean, do you think that that doesn't apply to us? Do you think that that is like, oh, well, that's way down the road. No, there's a possibility that scripture could happen in America tomorrow. 
And so we can fight, resist, kick, and cry, and wring our hands all day long. But if God says, okay, this is where we're going, I'm wanting to purify the church. I'm going to take the church deep unto deep. I'm going to let you experience a little bit of persecution. And I think, I think we'll really weed out true believers from, from the wheat and tares and all that, the tares, the, that whole analogy there in Scripture. It's a promise. Those days are going to come. If you live, if you live a godly life, if you really sincerely, not for a bad attitude, not for a wrong response, not for being a murderer or a thief, as the scripture says, but if you really are living the Christian life, sold out for Christ, you're genuine, and you're suffering persecution, it's going to come. So you might as well get ready for it. And, and count it a badge of honor to be able to live in those days. Because you and I, we, don't we love to read about the martyrs, the Fox's Book of Martyrs? Don't we love to read about the persecuted church around the world? Do, doesn't that inspire you? Doesn't that just really drive you to say, wow, man, look how those, I mean, they, they worship and they sing and, and they don't have a bulletin. And, you know, it's a wonderful, boy, that's inspiring. Well, that may be us one day. That may be us one day. <clears throat> In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures. Isn't it amazing? You get more people to a college football game during a pandemic than you can get to church. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from each turn away. The question is, is there an area in any of our lives, anything that we're holding on to, that we're not trusting God? Our future, our health, our children, grandchildren. Today, with all the things that are going on, and I, it's a crazy world, no doubt. Are you really completely trusting God? I mean, can you say, would you be willing to stand and say, I'm trusting our Lord completely. I don't fear man. I don't fear the government. I just fear God. And I'm trusting. I'm trusting God. I hope this church, my desire, my longing, would be this church would be remembered as a church that genuinely fears God and genuinely we just trust Him. Whatever comes our way, we trust Him. What an appropriate hymn, Aaron, that you did earlier. What an appropriate hymn. We just, we just need to be there. 
We're going to have an invitation. You know, people hadn't been moving too much during invitations, and I understand. But if God were to lead you to, to, to make some sort of affirmation with Him as we think about our personal lives and where we are and the struggles we're facing and all the chaos in this world and all the things that bring pressure, maybe today would be a great day to say, Lord, I'm going to just start fresh I'm going to just fear you, not fear the government. I'm going to trust you. I'm, I'm going to trust you with everything, with my whole life. You trusted him for salvation. Now trust him with living. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to not be fearful people and people with a lack of trust and lack of confidence, but that we would be known, people would notice that we fear God and we trust you wholly and completely. Today could be a great day for all of us if we'd end this service committing afresh that call to fear you and to trust you. In Jesus' most wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen.